for those tough wake-ups. Stats are misleading. It's Marsh and Mello. Major foul. Wake up to serious sports talk. He fist his It's Marsh. The CFL, baby. And Mello. I love Ken. It's Marsh and Mello. This is football. For those tough wake-ups. They're heating up. It's Marsh and Mello. Coming your way, Hamilton. Wake up to serious sports talk. Gas tank gonna be full. It's Marsh. In Canada. And Mello. Why not, eh? It's Marsh and Mello. Thank you, Canada. Everybody's doing it. Hello and welcome to another edition of Marsh and Mellow here on Canadian Football Perspective. Thank you to Fox 40 as always for supporting us. Don't forget you can use the promo code CFP15, get 15% off all your whistle needs as they've got the Fox 40 close vicinity line designed to help you return to play safely, which we will be talking about in today's show. What is the CFL going to do to return to play? Big meeting coming up on Monday there, Kyle Mellow. Big meeting, the future. <laughs> is in the hands of the owners of the Canadian Football League. So what's the percentage they need to get to to uh, get this thing off the ground? Seven of the nine teams. They need more than two-thirds. More we than know MLSE is probably going to be out. <laughs> well, apparently that's some of that's the That's an assumption. but that's, oh. Yeah, that's some of the reporting that we've seen from various <laughs> places. But we'll dive into that deeper coming up for you a little bit later on. Uh, going to get to some of a mixed bag here off the top of the show. And, of course, some of our favorite sound of the week as well. Uh, as we want to say thank you. To Sam Corbet and everybody, Jake and the rest from Sada City, their brewing company offering brewery fresh beer delivered directly to your door. Visit their website, sadacitybeer.com, to shop their wide variety of brews and to learn more. And don't forget the promo code is now switched. It is not CFP, it is CFL. CFL is the promo code that you got to use. Get free shipping on your first order over $100. Of course, available to Ontario residents only. Must be of legal drinking age. We thank everybody who has been uh, spending their hard-earned money using the promo code to let everybody at Sawdust know that you really do appreciate them being able to help us create this content and give you some Canadian football discussion. Last week, I actually have here in front of me, Kyle, on the Zoom call with you, Patio Nights. Uh, We reviewed this one last week, which I actually, I got the four kind of summer seasonal uh, beers that they sent out and Sam Corbett, the brewmaster and co-founder, said, what one do you want to review? And I said, Patio Nights. Right away, because I love sangria. Like, I really, really enjoy sangria. I don't know if it is uh, being with the woman of Portuguese descent that has done it to me, <laughs> but but it is sangria we love being able to enjoy on a hot summer night. And as the weather has certainly warmed up here in Ontario, I wanted to have some of that. So uh, the back of the can says, this beer pours a beautiful reddish purple you can't help but admire in your glass. Aromas of juicy fruits leap out with a distinct sangria vibe and just a hint of hops, both spicy and juicy. And when I read that, I was like, oh, spicy. And when I tried it, I went, oh, spicy. It was actually really, <laughs> it was really enjoyable. It was a nice little twist because they use this uh, like hibiscus tea that gives it kind of that fruity sangria vibe. It's really just beer with tea in it. Uh, but if you want to go check it out on our YouTube page, Sam talks to me about kind of the pros and cons of brewing with tea and how difficult that can be and all the rest. This week, we are reviewing this, which is the passion fruit guava flavored kettle sour uh and this one uh i thought was super refreshing i did a bit of a taste test last week which being partners with sawdust is a great excuse to drink beers on the weekend uh but i split half the beers uh uh, half the beer with myself half the beer with my fiance and we just kind of like have a discussion about what we got from sawdust and what what questions i should have for sam and i didn't have a lot of questions about this one because it it kind of was self-explanatory it's 3.5 percent and it's extremely refreshing 
Like it was, we put this thing actually on ice. It's got citrus, lemon flavors. It's, it's tart. All the guava is just like, ooh. And the one, the last one I wanted to bring up here off the top that I'm intrigued, but also terrified of. I just mentioned that the passion fruit guava uh, beer is 3.5%. They've got a hazelnut latte imperial oh. milk. <laughs> you got the one that I wanted because I saw that. I think it was Connor that posted it. Yeah. Like a picture. And he got one. And I'm like, oh, they're sending me beer because I wasn't home yeah. the day that they brought it. My car kind of broke down. So I had to take it to the mechanic. Oh. So I was out all day and I saw the post from Connor and I'm just like, and then I saw the sticker from Sawdust and I'm like, oh, they're coming back tomorrow to drop it off. I hope I get that one. I, I didn't get that. One. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll have an extra one. So <laughs> I, I'll drop off a hazelnut latte Imperial. You don't have milk. to. You don't have to. No, milk stout for you. Cause I honestly, we should just have them together. Like I would love to just taste them together and be like, what the hell is this? And the reason that I say this is uh, it's 9.6%. Whoa. I didn't know that. It's okay, nine. Maybe I'm second guessing. It, it's, it's not, it's, <laughs> In terms of alcoholic value, it is three times the passion fruit guava <laughs> in the same amount of can. Uh, and I also love that it says at the bottom of the can, you know, how usually if you have an IPA, it'll be like, you know, mildly strong beer or it'll say strong beer. This one says extra strong beer on the bottom. I don't know how they clarify that. If, if to go on shelves at an LCBO or to be brewed in Ontario, you have to warn people with a label that says extra strong beer, but 9.6% in the back says lusciousness is just that luscious built on a silky bed of crazy creamy imperial milk stout flavors of hazelnut Ooh. coffee and vanilla meld together to create one delicious taste experience now this is probably not your typical like what you want to have on a summer night when it's 35 40 degrees outside uh but it does it looks intriguing it seems delicious and i'm excited to try it so yeah kyle you and i will enjoy that together at some point in the next uh, week or maybe we can get together and uh, and end up watching a little bit of Euro, perhaps, because Kyle, Kyle is rocking his Portugal. I know a guy that I work with right now is an old Portuguese man, and uh, I said to him, the other, uh, I said to him the other day, <laughs> it's also funny because he said, uh, "Where are you from? Where are you from?" And I said, "Oh, I'm I'm not from the islands." I said, "My fiance's family is," and I said, uh, "You know, they're from uh, Saint George and Fayal." And he goes, "Oh, Fayal, Fayal, Fayal. Yes, 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 yes. yeah, Fayal." And I said, uh, he goes, what's, uh, what's your fiance's uh, mom's name? And I go, uh, Fatima. And he goes, oh, I know this. I know this. Yes, I know. It's, it's small island. I know it's, I know. <laughs> so <laughs> he was convinced or he was trying to convince me that he knew my, my fiance's mom because he had come, he's like, I came over in 1978, but you know, I still go back once in a while. I know, I know, I know her. I know her. Okay, sure. I believe you totally. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> yeah. But he always rocks the Portugal stuff. And, uh, and I said to him, Hey, when do they play? And, you know, he kind of mumbled something about, oh, I think it's Friday or you, you just said it was Tuesday, 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 yeah, yeah. Tuesday before we came on. But and uh, <laughs> me knowing basically nothing about soccer, I he says to me, oh, very tough, tough group, tough group. And I go, ah, group of death. huh? <laughs> I was just like one of the buzzwords that you get to know, <laughs> even if you don't know a damn thing about soccer. So, yeah, uh, they uh, it'll be fun to get your own going, though. I know Martin Garrix, I heard is got the theme music and he's live performing i guess at the opening match and at the the championship match and all the rest so uh there's lots of buzz around it i think people are excited and obviously we're all excited about things sports coming back here in north america for europe this has got to be a huge celebration coming out on the other side of what this thing has been for a year and a half 
Yeah, it's been crazy even watching like the pre-tournament friendlies and seeing the amount of people that they have in the crowd. Not full stadiums yet, and I don't know how they're going to do it uh, with the Euros. Difference with the Euro Cup this year, there's no host country. Um, it's all over Europe. So uh, Baku is one of the hosts, uh, England, Germany. There are a bunch of cities all over Europe uh, to get this uh, tournament off the ground. So I wonder if the countries are going to have different uh, protocols in terms of how many people they let in the stadium. Um, but yeah, Portugal uh, plays Thursday. We're recording this Thursday night, Friday, Italy, Turkey first game. Uh, that'll be a fun one. I think Turkey's a lot better than a lot of people who give them credit for. And uh, Portugal, look, first games against Hungary. That's they got the easy opponent out first, and then it's France and and Germany. Mm. Germany, everybody's likes to say, oh, you know, a group of death because it's France and Germany. There's a very good potential. Remember, Germany missed the knockout stage. They got knocked out in the group stage um, in the last World Cup. The reason, they have a huge transfer of power right now in Germany. A lot of those older players aren't on the squad. They've called back uh, um, Matt Hummels and uh, Thomas Muller into the lineup. Um, but the rest of the team is very young. So there is a very good potential for Germany that they're not as good as people think. Um, I think Portugal and France get through the group. But again, we'll see. I don't have a lot of trust in Portugal. But I said that last Euro Cup and they won it all. <laughs> um, as somebody, again, who knows little to nothing about this, all, all I need to know is Miroslav Klose still doing it? Uh, no, Miroslav Klose is not on the oh. national team. <laughs> uh, ba Bastian Schweinsteiger? Uh, no, he's, oh. he's not. <laughs> See, again, uh, Joachim Love, the uh, the manager yeah. uh, of Germany, and obviously won a you know World Cup with with Germany. Um, this is his last tournament, and then he's stepping out. So this is his last tournament in charge. I he's been in charge for I don't even know 12, 14 years, something like that. Thierry Henry, as Zinedine Zidane, what are we? <laughs> uh, no, France is very good, but uh, Thierry Henry and Zinedine Zidane are uh, not on the French They're national team. Managers now, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, they are, but, both uh, of them. <laughs> even though Thierry is no longer with Club de Foot de Montreal or whatever the hell they're calling themselves. Thierry the Henry might be the owner of Arsenal. They're trying to get Stan Kroenke out, and uh, the, uh, the president or co-founder of uh, Spotify, Daniel Ek, a Swedish guy, apparently he's a huge Arsenal fan. He's put in a bid to the Cronkies to buy the team. And yeah. Stan is like, not on my watch. I am not selling. <laughs> They're just trying to get rid of every American influence possible at this Absolutely. point. <laughs> to do with anything with top-end soccer in Europe, especially after this Super League thing bounced around. It's very obvious that they just, <laughs> the protests have been amazing. Like, it's not, it's not something I was honestly aware of before the Super League I don't want to say popped up because it didn't pop up. It's been kind of ruminating near the surface yeah. for a long time. But yeah, when, when that happened and you saw people take to the streets, I started to read a little bit more about the long-term relationship of American ownership. Because I always wondered, why the hell does Man you have a Chevy logo on the middle of their chest? Because when I think <laughs> Chevy, I think Silverado. When I think Silverado, I think Wyoming, Montana, Midwest, guy pulling a trailer with horses in it. I'm not saying that there's not people that work hard on the land in and around Manchester and England, but I don't think they're driving Silverado's yeah. around. So I was always like, who are we advertising to here? But then you realize obviously <laughs> that the advertising dollars are not specified for where they locally play because Manchester United fans are always going to be Manchester United fans, regardless of ownership or what the logo is on the middle of the uniform. But I just, I'm trying to imagine like the new England Patriots coming out and having a Puget logo in the middle of their chest. And you'd be like, what? No, like I, they're fans over there. I get it, yeah. but it seems like a weird brand connection. Then you realize 
where the money's actually coming from, who owns the team, you're like, okay, this yeah. makes sense. It's basically the highest bidder and how much money do you want to pay to get your company logo on, you know, a, a club team's uh, shirt. And, you know, for some people, it's a lot of money. Like, for example, Arsenal Football Club, it's they have like travel Rwanda on their sleeve. I'm like, how many Arsenal fans are ever going to travel to Rwanda? <laughs> I My main question there is, how is tourism in Rwanda doing? Like, yeah, I don't know. do they have the money? <laughs> from the Rwandan government to like, what a random connection point to have. On. Don't ask questions. <laughs> I'm just, so I'm saying is like, there's a lot of weird money that gets thrown around international football. But uh, speaking of international events though, Kyle, I, should we be concerned about the Olympics? Because I saw this just before we came on to start taping here, 10,000 Olympic volunteers quit their posts in Tokyo with the games just 50 days away. 10,000, how the hell do you, and I understand there's a lot of big numbers when it comes to the Olympics and there's a lot of people involved. 10,000 might not cripple the entire system, but like this article is from- That's a lot. This article is from thenation.com and it says the Tokyo Olympics are in peril. First of all, I was told by Scott Hasty, who we had come on and tell us about uh, Hot Shot or Pop Shot or whatever the hell that NFT stuff with the NBA was. Oh, by the way, NFTs in the tank right now. Yeah, I mean- who saw that coming? Everybody. <laughs> uh, but, but he came on and, uh, and talked to us about all the NBA NFTs that were happening. And uh, which I kind of love the diecats were like, Brandon Banks becomes first CFL player to release personalized NFT. And I was looking at him like, who gives a, who gives a damn? Like, this isn't going to matter in a couple of months. Sure yeah. Here we are. But, uh, but Scott told me when we were talking a couple of weeks ago, he's like, did you know that Japan is one of the worst countries when it comes to first dose vaccination. I was like, what? Because I thought, like, seemed fairly progressive country, like economy is strong internationally, despite the size of their actual GDP and all these. These are typically things that you associate with. They do good at helping people with healthcare and getting the word out on messaging on certain things that are important, such as getting vaccinated. And uh, and he said, that, yeah, their first dose vaccination was like 2% like a couple of weeks ago. I don't know where it is today. Maybe they were just waiting on supply and it's boomed since, but it was 2%. And I thought that seems really bad for a country that's yeah. hosting the Olympics. And then Dave Zirin, who does incredible work for the nation.com uh, has this article here that says staging the Olympics amid a state of emergency and a coronavirus upsurge has led top officials to question whether they should happen at all. 10,000 people. That's how many Olympic volunteers quit their posts in Tokyo with the games 50 days away. That's one of every eight volunteers they need to pull off 2021, although they're still calling it Tokyo 2020. Uh, this is just the latest <laughs> yeah. warning sign, despite the Panglossian protestations. Okay, Zyron, chill, buddy. I don't even know what either of those words mean. Uh, of, of the International Olympic Committee, this summer's games are in peril. Japan is currently wrestling with a coronavirus upsurge, and less than 3% of the population is vaccinated. Oh, my God, they've gone up 1% in two weeks. According to polls, as much as 80% of the country does not want to host the games for, free, uh, for fear that it is exacerbating this omnipresent public health crisis, currently classified as a state of emergency. The masses of Tokyo want to postpone or cancel the games, but the government says it's the IOC's decision, not the host countries. That is so screwed up. Sovereignty be damned. In a pardon the expression viral editorial, Japanese Olympic Committee member and one-time bronze medalist Kaori Yamaguchi wrote that Japan has been, quote, cornered 
end quote, into having to host the game. She wrote, we would have been cornered, uh, sorry, we have been cornered into a situation where we cannot even stop now. We are damned if we do and damned if we do not. The IOC also seems to think that public opinion in Japan is not important. It was an extraordinary statement that broke a wall of blithe arrogance from the JOC in the face of this public opposition. Uh, there's a lot more in that article, but the idea on all of that just being that they're not in control of their own country and they're not in control of their own Olympic Games. Even at this point where you would think we would have turned a corner on this stuff, I find that to be yeah. entirely amazing that a country that I have as much respect for as Japan just seems to be out of control when they knew the world was going to show up on their doorstep. I can't believe we're going through this again yeah. with another Olympics. Look, I understand Corona is a massive issue. And in Japan, they're not doing very well with their vaccine rollout. Um, and it's obviously spiking numbers at a, you know, a very dangerous time right before the Olympics. Um, I don't want to talk about the policy of the IOC because that's screwed up in and itself. And we know how corrupt the IOC is. But it seems every two years, and again, this Olympics were supposed to happen last year, but it seems every Olympic Games, there's a controversy. There's a story. Oh, it's not safe. Don't go. It's dangerous. Yeah, Brazil right? was like that. Like there was a ton Brazil of stuff was there. like that. Pyeongchang. Oh, North Korea is gonna bomb South Korea, right? Yeah. Um, the, what was the other one? Sochi. Oh, don't go to Russia. It's it's not well, safe. The so Russians are gonna try something. Sochi was the rooms don't have uh the bathrooms don't have walls, and there's dogs, wild dogs all over the place in the street, and there's no snow for the winter games because it's a summer resort town yeah. where in the mountains there's snow, but down low, it feels like you're on a beach all the time. So yeah, every Olympic, this is kind of what I love about Olympic games though, is that it's such a it's nauseating. Yeah, it is, but it's also just the entire world. And I would hate to honestly be at a place that was hosting the Olympics as much as people that live in Vancouver or experience Vancouver. If you get a taste of it, it might be great, but I can't imagine having your city. Like we saw what happened to Toronto with the Pan Am games, Kyle. Well, like, it was in Hamilton too. Right? Yeah, it, but it got dominated. Like it, the, everything is just shut down because it's gridlocked nonstop. And the systems, the the infrastructure needed in place to actually host an event properly and have things go smoothly is impossible. With the amount of media, like you know how tough a Grey Cup is to pull off. It's one game on the Sunday. Yeah. Now, now do that for seventy sports and do that with millions of spectators and thousands of media and like all of these things coming together i always wonder why we keep banging our head against the wall to try and do it the way that we've been doing it when i again i don't have a solution for you other than the idea of going back to cities that have hosted it previously and just troubleshooting the things that went wrong and doing it better the next yeah. time in the same venue but when i see stories like this come out about hey we're going to another different place it hasn't been there since Nagano in 98 and uh, we're going to throw everybody in and let's go. Let's see what happens. And it's like, well, the infrastructure is not going to hold up because it never does. So no. yeah, they, they always have challenges and it's, it's part of the strange excitement or I think we're intrigued with these international sports. Yeah. And it's not only the Olympics, it's, you know, world cups and, and Euro cups when yeah. they come through. Um, and that's why I just mentioned off the top of the show, you know, this Euro cup it's in multiple countries because it is quite unfair. The fact that these, you know, organizing committees do throw a lot of pressure on localized governments, right? Governments that one are not equipped for it and two can't afford it. 
yeah. right? Like just the security cost for an Olympics is insane. And we have this idea that, oh, a single city has to host the Olympics. Why? Why can't Germany host the Olympics? And then we have events everywhere, right? Like Germany has mountains. So they can have skiing uh, there. Like it, it's ridiculous. And, you know, I think down the road, we're going to find out that, you know, the city of Los Angeles, and I can't remember what year they're hosting uh, the summer games. I think it's 28. Yeah, 2028. Um, don't be surprised if Los Angeles down the road, they're like, oh, we're four years out from the Olympics and we're realizing we actually don't want all the games in Los Angeles. So, um, uh, hey, San Francisco, do you want to take some of this stuff? Yeah, and, and then like Candlestick uh, or Santa Clara is going to take some uh, some games and then you're going to have that stadium take some games and all of a sudden it's Southern California's games. <laughs> yeah, and I've, I know that there are satellite cities that usually take an event or two, but it's usually the real fringe stuff. Like I know when Montreal hosted the games in what was that? 76, if I'm not mistaken, my timeline might be off on that, but um, Kingston's claim to fame. They, there's a place in Kingston called Olympic Harbor. And the reason it's called Olympic Harbor, we actually had the rowing. They had the, yeah, I think it was the rowing and the sailing events. I believe were there. I I might be on the rowing, but I think (laughs) rowing and sailing was there it was a huge deal. Like the, the banks of Kingston were lined to be able to, I've seen pictures of it. So uh, it's, it's, it, it does get spread out to various places, but the idea of events being held in Kingston compared to them being held in large satellite cities like Oakland or San Francisco or um, all these different places you're talking about in SoCal, it's like, the Olympics have grown to a place where there's no way they can ever possibly succeed yet. We keep trying to make them succeed. No. So, so we'll see where the Tokyo Olympics go, but they are up against it yeah. because if they don't have people that are vaccinated that are in the country, your volunteers primarily come from your country. And if they're not vaccinated, I don't know how Japan like basically it's at a point where the IOC is going to say, we're going there no matter what we're having the games because we're not going to have the embarrassment of planning these games a year after they were supposed to go and still not be able to get them off the ground. It's happening. Just get yourselves ready. And then Japan's like, no, we're not getting vaccinated. And if Japan's not getting vaccinated, can you possibly put 70,000 volunteers who are, I don't know, let's say 5% of them are vaccinated. I don't know what the number is on that. Cause I'm yeah. fast math, but can you possibly put all of those people around limited amounts of spectators or even the athletes because you have to have the volunteers in and around helping in the Olympic village. Yeah. And, and I don't think you can do that. Like that seems backwards to me that your protocols, as we're talking about putting 35% of fans in stands at CFL games and having clusters sitting together and the amount of vaccinations that we need in order to get things back to stage three and have full reopening and be able to go on patios and all these kinds of things. It's like, how could Japan possibly approve having unvaccinated workers by the tens of thousands around the world's best, best athletes? I don't know. I just yeah. don't know. I don't know the answer to that. It's quite remarkable when you look at what Japan's trying to do here. And the fact that people in the government in Japan have already said, it's not our choice on whether or not we want to host at this point. Don't be surprised, you know, 35, 40 days out from the Olympic Games starting if Japan goes into one of the strictest lockdowns we've seen in this whole pandemic because they're like, hey, we need to get our numbers under control before other people start arriving in Tokyo. <laughs> and I, to be honest, what's the coverage of the Olympics going to look like? Like, no are, are people just going to, you know, cover, you know, is, is TSN going to have guys writing articles about the Olympics? Are they going to be here? 
In we Canada? sent uh, we sent Claire Hanna and Lindsay Hamilton to Riga Latvia. Yeah, to Latvia to go cover <laughs> the the World Hockey Championships. Yeah. So I assume TSM. They were in a so. bubble though. That World Championships, yeah. the, the, all the players were in a bubble. They weren't allowed to go anywhere. And Lindsay Hamilton, I saw she posted on the Monday after Canada won gold. She posted on the Monday, finally out of the bubble, and I can actually walk around Riga and like look at the sights. So. What do you think the sites are like in Riga, Latvia? I think it's pretty very old. It's a very, very old style country. It's like it's like old school, like Russia, right? With like crazy old buildings, churches, things like that. So all of Riga, Latvia looks like Artris Urbe's helmet. One hundred percent. Great reference by you. I'm trying to think of like another another Latvian player. Sandis Ozilich was he a, was he Russian? I think he was. He is now. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right, so, so there, there's our international conversation. We have no idea what's happening in Japan, and all of Riga, Latvia looks like Archer Surbay's helmet. Very good. Uh, let's get a quick break. We'll come back on the other side. We'll talk some CFL return to play for you, and then the best sound of the week as well coming up. It is right here on Marsh and Mellow. Happy Friday, everybody. And, hey, happy opening up of patios to all of our friends in the uh, restaurant industry, including our good friends at Forced Joni. Everyone there has gone through a lot in the last while, and we're excited for them to be able to get back off the ground. So happy Friday. Go support those that you can locally once again as things open up. And uh, more CFL talk just around the corner for you here on Canadian Football Perspective. Marshall Ferguson here for my friends at Forstagioni. Want to get your golf game in shape before the season begins? You can book their TrackMan golf simulators now. These things are world-class. They've got a new daily drink deal and spring-summer menu coming soon, just in time for the patio. That's right, patio season. Just around the corner, forstagioni.ca, and you can follow on Instagram at four, that's F-O-R-E, dot stagioni, S-T-A-G-I-O-N-E. Open for takeout daily. Give them a call at 905-381-9850. For those tough wake-ups. Trevor Harris, I asked him for his most embarrassing story. He said, I went to the fair with a girl, had a crush on her for a long time. She just figured out she had a crush on me like two days before. I'm like, yep, here we go. Perfect. It's Martian Mellow. Baby, let me go. Uh, let's go. I'll go get you some food. So he walks away, comes back with two big extra large Dippin' Dots. She was holding their place in line to go on the big Ferris wheel. He comes back with Dippin' Dots and she's making out with a different guy in line. Did he eat the Dippin' Dots? He said he crushed both the Dippin' Dots, went home, never talked to her again. That's the move. That is the move. Welcome back. It is Marsh and Mellow right here on Canadian Football Perspective. Thank you as always for hanging out with us. Uh, I don't know if this picture is real, Kyle. Have, did you know what happened to Kevin Pillar? Did he get smashed in the face by a baseball? Because I'm looking at a picture yeah, here yeah. on Twitter that his nose is all bloody, but he, he looks like he's playing professional baseball in a Halloween costume, dressed up to look like he's playing professional baseball. And the reason I say this is that, yes, his face, like his, the middle of his bridge of his nose is all swollen, <laughs> and his nose is a little bit wider than it should be. So I assume that he got his face like exploded, got hit by a baseball or something like that, because I didn't he, see this. Yeah, he got okay. hit in the face with a pitch. Um, and then I uh, like three days later, cause people didn't know what was like 100% wrong with Kevin Pillar. They didn't know if he just had facial fractures, if he had like brain trauma, like they didn't know. And then three days later, he holds like a press conference and his face is mangled Blown and up. he's just like, it could have been a lot worse. So I'm actually uh, doing okay. I'm like, Kevin, are you sure? Your face looks <laughs> terrible. He already has a pretty round face to begin with. So to, <laughs> to have even more swelling 
uh, just attack the the middle of that face is not a good look for Kevin Pillar. But <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but he's a tough dude, right? Like we knew when he was a oh, Blue yeah. Jay, he was a tough guy. He battled through stuff. He was running into the outfield wall and he was twisting his arm backwards, landing at the base of the wall on the warning track and all these kinds of things. But the reason that I bring this up is that I couldn't believe this picture when I saw it. It was tweeted out by at Gotta Believe Pod. Uh, and it's a, a New York Metropolitan's podcast Twitter feed here. And it says, Kevin Pillar really went yard twice last night using the bat from when he got drilled in the face. <laughs> the picture has the bat of like him standing in the batter's box waiting to line up for the pitch. There's blood all <laughs> over the bat. The bat is coated. They never cleaned it. It's coated in blood. I'm like, um, are you guys familiar with Magic Johnson and how that like changed the whole thing? Where if somebody like Jokic gets a cut on their arm, yeah, they they have to like change their uniform and get a. I love. It, it looks as though at the end of his bat, Kevin Pillar should have a whole bunch of barbed wire. Like, it, it looks like a Halloween costume of Kevin Ballar as serial murderer who walks around with a baseball bat covered in somebody else's blood. But no, it's his own blood. And I'm just wondering, A, why did the bat not get clean? B, why did somebody not look at Kevin and be like, hey, that's a bit of a weird look to go out there with the bloody bat. But it's obvious that Pilar was just trying to do this because he knew it would go viral. Why the hell else would you... Was he trying to go out there to look at the bat and remember the pain of getting hit in the face and so it would motivate him to hit the face? I don't know. Maybe it worked because he had two home runs. I can only imagine uh, the equipment manager trying to clean the bat and Kevin Pillar comes around the corner. What are you doing? Leave it on there. I want to add to the effect of being a badass. And it's like, are you a badass or are you a psychopath? Well, clean I just, the damn blood. Uh, I love the idea, too, of him as he starts to walk out of the dugout and he goes and grabs the bat that has all the blood on it. And somebody says, no, 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 Kevin, it's got, and he turns around and he goes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> like he's well aware. And they're like, Oh, okay. Well then that's terrifying that you have chosen to use the bloody bat. Uh, but yeah. again, it worked for him. So good and, on Kevin. And I remember, I remember when that happened too, when he got hit in the face, uh, seeing the highlight of it, because when he got hit, he went down on his knees and he was just pouring blood and the bat oh. was right underneath it. <laughs> oh my goodness. So it is the bat. That's so good. Yes. I don't watch enough sports anymore, man. I wish I would have seen stuff like that because that would have uh, been a lot Listen, clearer. That would have been a lot clearer for me It was me to baseball understand. in May. That's You'll true. be forgiven. Yeah, I probably uh, don't have to feel bad about it. I that wish one. Kevin Pilar still played for the Blue Jays uh, because I, I think they need his toughness uh, because there's too many soft Toronto Blue Jays on this team. Um, just so many like is george i for, i put out on twitter the other day and i got so much backlash for it i put out a tweet i said because i was watching the blue jays game and like during the second inning before they started they showed a clip of george springer running in the outfield before the game hey because george springer is not playing right now for the blue jays he has a hamstring injury and i literally put out on twitter i said I literally forgot George Springer was on the Blue Jays. He hasn't yeah. played. He played like two games. I think I heard. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's what usually big name free agents do. They get paid by a Toronto team and then they disappear into the abyss. Are the Blue Jays still paying BJ Ryan? I think they are. <laughs> I, I saw somebody the other day uh, make a comparison to oh, who was it? I forget. But they basically said, this guy just reminds me of J.A. Happ. And I was like, I don't think that's a compliment. I'm pretty sure that's not 
something that you Dayhop's pretty he was pretty good yeah but he also was one of those guys who was just like so up and down and inflammatory at times in his career but yeah anyways uh let's dive into the cfl stuff the cflpa passes some cba amendments they did not extend the cba so it is still expired at the end of 2021 going into training camps 2022 which unfortunately kyle sets us up for all sorts of drama going into next season when we should have a full schedule on the docket (laughs) and where there's going to be the potential of a delay or controversy about certain things going into that cba and the players association playing their cards and you get the idea but for now they have amended the cba here's dave naylor and farhan Lalji from tsn with the details The CFLPA's team reps did pass an amendment for the 2021 collective bargaining agreement that would allow the two sides to get back on the field this season. The Board of Governors has to ratify that on Monday. Dave, what are some of the interesting changes and highlights? Well, CFL rosters were due to have 46 players on them. This season, they're going to have a maximum of 44, but teams can opt to dress just 43. Of those, two of them were going to be global players. That number will stay at one. And in an interesting twist, The league has the discretion to add two playoff teams to the format. Now, this is believed to be if for some reason they can't start by August 5th, the regular season gets shortened, they could adopt what would essentially be an 18 playoff tournament. Teams will also be allowed to keep an additional five players on the practice roster. That's assuming the quarantine regulations around the border stay the same. And speaking of that, the Public Health Agency of Canada is still reviewing the CFL's proposal. All sides point to that heading in a positive direction. The two sides did meet last Thursday to discuss it and go through those details. And as far as the idea of fans in the stands, the league really wants to make sure that at least 35% of fans in stadiums are allowed back in. Now, as far as the provinces are concerned, they've got to sign off on that. That will not come by Monday. So the league and its teams and its owners are going to have to take a bit of an educated guess based on where they see the numbers trending, based on the background conversations they've had with provincial officials so that they can make that decision and that vote on Monday. Yeah, and more good news on that front. Recently, a committee made up of representatives of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, the Toronto Blue Jays, and the three Ontario CFL teams submitted a proposal looking for 35% of stadiums to be open to fans as early as July 2nd, 100% by Ontario's Stage 3 of reopening, which would be as early as July 23rd. So that's more good news in terms of where everyone expects this trend to be going. If that, in fact, does happen, it could mean that some of the teams that were scheduled from the East to play in the West early in the season, those games could get moved back to the East. We'll see how it all turns out on Monday. The schedule could be released as early as that day. Okay, so the schedule is ready to go, is my understanding that they have it in hand, they've had it in hand for a while, and they've been waiting for the moment to release it. Now, we all thought they were waiting for the moment to release it when you would end up having everyone come together and say, yep, all systems go. I didn't realize it was going to have to be basically ratified by a vote of the Board of Governors. Yeah. It makes sense that that's a requirement, but that just hadn't crossed my mind. So now here we are. They're going to ratify it. Like, there's no way that they're not going to ratify. Whether it's seven teams that say yes, eight teams that say yes, or all nine that say yes. I I just, (laughs) because we know this is going to go through, because we know that there is not going to be three teams that say no, and you're going to end up with six saying yes. um, How bad of a look would that be, Kyle, is the first thing that crossed my mind. If you vote no, and you're the only one. Or you vote no and you're the only two and it comes out and your fans who have been waiting forever, 
it feels like, to watch the sport that they love, to watch their teams, to watch their players. If you are to vote no, and it comes out that you voted no, and I sure as hell hope it gets reported about who voted no if there is a no vote, because they deserve to be punished for it. And if that comes out, how are you going to look as a president, CEO, how are you going to look at your head coach, your GM, your players, or your fan base anytime in the next five years and say, no, no, we got your back. We got your back. Anything for you guys. Because that no vote, once it becomes public, is a clear sign that, oh, no, this is about the money. And, like, we understand it's a business. And this is always going to be about money at the end of the day. But at this point, you're going to lose money regardless of whether you play or you yeah. don't. And the idea that you're going to vote no, that's going to look so much worse. So. I almost hope that there is some cowardice involved here and the people who are either being told to vote no or the people that are planning to vote no, they wake up and realize the optics and how much that will hurt them moving forward. And maybe they're just cold, shrewd businessmen. They don't give a damn about anybody's feelings. And maybe they see XFL on their horizons. They don't give a damn about their own team because they're more interested in the money that's coming in from Redbird Capital and all these different things that are being rumored out there is the future of the finance of the CFL. But what I'm saying is all of those extenuating circumstances, all of those projections down the line, strip them away. If I'm a fan of the Argos, a diehard fan, and the team is run by MLSE and they vote no, or if I am Montreal and I'm a big, big fan and I love it and I want to see Vernon Adams Jr. hit the field this year, guess what? He's still going to hit the field. But if you have the new ownership, come in there and vote no like how are you supposed to go to Danny Machocha and be like listen you've been working really hard you've done a great job great draft classes back-to-back years a lot of French Canadians for our fans to get excited about but I just don't think we can play this year you know the money just doesn't make sense for me that is such a bad look yeah so again I don't think it's going to happen I think this is going to be unanimous uh, vote but if it's not I think it's going to be eight and then the Argos will be out the Argos will end up playing um but they'll be the one you know vote that says no we're not going to play this year because look around the cfl edmonton you don't think they want to get off the ground they just launched a new name to the, to the franchise calgary's on board winnipeg's on board bc perhaps you cannot wait you know this is the thing for me about bc their financial situation their ownership situation they should be the number one team yeah. that doesn't it's want true. to play but yeah. you know why they do they're paying Mike Riley a ton of money, and you're saying, well, if they don't play them, they don't have to pay him that money. There's going to be grievances filed on all of that stuff. And yeah. if you're BC, do you really want to waste a year of having one of the best quarterbacks in the Canadian Football League? Like, you want to actively say to your fan base, you know, you guys haven't cared that much about us for a little while here in the large swaths that we got back in the early 2010s. When Travis Lule was going to Grey Cups, and Andrew Harris was around and all the rest. Uh, yeah, we, we're sending the message now that we don't care either. Like you can't, you cannot yeah. do that. I don't care if it's Toronto, Montreal, BC, struggling markets, attendance wise, other, you can't vote no and look everybody in the eye that surrounds your team with a clear conscience. Yeah. But going back to your point about staying faced with the fans and the people in the organization, coaches, players, um, I think it's important for them to, you know, get that vote of confidence from ownership to say, Hey, we're going, we're getting off the ground this year. We're playing a season because we have to. You know, the, the future of the CFL rests on it. You can't sit out again, right? You have to play football this year. Look around the world. You know, all the leagues are playing and the CFL can't just sit to the wayside and say, eh, I think we're going to wait one more year. No, you can't. Because when you come back, there's no guarantee that you're going to have 
the same interest level that you did when you left, which to be honest, wasn't great. So if you're the Toronto Argonauts and look, I was running through the teams that I think are going to vote yes on this. Ottawa and Hamilton are kind of a given because to Dave Naylor's report, they went to the provincial government and said, or the federal government and said, Hey, um, can we have 35% capacity, which I did the math works out to be about 8250 at Tim Hortons field um, might be a little bit higher because you know, the way it is, right. It's like, Oh, the attendance to today's playoff game was 25,000. It's like, how the hell they get 25,000 in here all season. They've been bragging about <laughs> sellouts. It's only been 24. Right. How they get 25 in here. Um, but it happens. So the stiffly uh, baby, the stiffly, yeah. that's the answer. There's a thousand it, people standing at the bar in the one end zone. Yeah. It works out to be about mid 8,000. Um, yeah. I look at the Toronto Argonauts and I say, okay, what are you going to do now? Right. Because you might be, you know, the, the people on, on the way out here. Um, and if that's the case, I've always wondered this, and I've actually like never said it on radio or on our podcast. If the Argos are out and they do want to, you know, partner with the with the XFL, who's going to go to those games? You can't get people to go to the CFL. What makes you think they're going to come to the XFL when there's no history behind it? Because I know this, the people that go to Argos games, they bleed Argos blue. They remember yeah. Mike Morielli as an Argo. They remember pinball in his day as an Argo. They're going to say, huh? The Toronto Extreme or whatever stupid name they give an XFL franchise. <laughs> no, they'll stay or, the Argos. I mean, it, they'll, okay, but, they'll stay the Argos, yeah. but huh? Are they going to stay like the same colors and everything? Or you think there's going to be another rebrand? Like, this I, is what I'm getting at, right? Yeah, it's like, it's not going to be what those fans are used to. And the very little fan base that they have, I've always said it, the amount of fans they have that go to games is not a lot. But the people that go to those games are diehard Argos yeah. fans. And I would hate to see what a building of the Toronto Argonauts in the XFL would look like because it'd be horrendous. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think it would be. Uh, but again, if if MLSE is all about the business, which is what we're talking about here yep. with the vote that's coming up on Monday. Business the, decision is to play football. It will. But if the business decision and again, we're not here to fix the Argos today. And we're not here to talk about XFL potential merger, but tying all these threads together. If MLSC is all about business, as we're discussing, and they're saying it doesn't make sense financially for us, we don't feel like losing a bunch of money by playing a season where we're going to lose money by paying a bunch of people to do something that we're not going to make anything off of. What's to say that they wouldn't say, well, we don't give a damn about violating our past when it comes to our fan base, the, the true passionate fans that come. There's not enough of them. You know what makes us happy? The money that comes from a, a yeah. company that has capital that wants to share it with us, the to work under an umbrella heading with the XFL and the CFL teams and we all get revenue sharing or whatever the finances are on that stuff. That stuff's all over my head. But if it's about dollars, then the, the passionate diehard people like Ben Grant, who you and I love talking to, who knows Argos history backwards and forwards and loves talking about the Argos and breaking down the Argos. Like if those types of people are going to have their back turned by the people who own their group, then, and, and Ben Grant said, by the way, and I hosted the breakdown with him this week, that he actually doesn't believe that MLSC, and he's not reporting on any of this stuff, but he just says, I have a hard time believing that MLSC doesn't want to play, which I think is, again, super interesting why the results of this need to be public, is that we need to find out, because there, there needs to be a public shaming for whoever says no. It'll because come it, out. Because they're going to play, but 
you would think that it would come out. I believe that it will come out. There's animosity within the owners if somebody votes no. Yeah, but you don't. Well, I don't know, though, because I think there's always animosity amongst them. And there's a lot of stuff that happens in those board of governors meetings that people just don't know about. Come on, Bob Young. If it's the Argo, shame them. I think I think it would come out. But I just I hope that they're held accountable for it, because the message that you're sending there is absolutely horrific. The other thing I wanted to bounce around here, Kyle, is um, the idea. And I I find this to be incredible. The idea of the expanded playoff. Because they mentioned in that clip, the, the reporting there from, <laughs> from Dave and Farhan there is that the CFL has the potential to expand from six to eight teams. Now, when you are Major League Baseball and you're adding an extra wild card game, sure. When you are the National Football League expanding the playoffs to seven teams per conference instead of six per conference this past year, sure. You got 32 in there. If you're the NBA and you're expanding it to have a play-in tournament so that four teams that are all in the bottom three or four of their conference can get in and have a more television ratings. Sure. Expanding the playoffs always adds stakes. Anytime that you add stakes, you are going to end up having higher television ratings, more interest, better attendance when it's possible in person, all the rest. It's never a bad idea for business to add playoff games. If leagues could have their way, the smartest thing financially to do, to drive ratings, to drive revenue, to drive intrigue, is have your whole damn season be a playoff. Like, it's part of the reason why I believe NCAA football does so well, aside from the, just the... Every it's, game's important. It's, it's outside of the insatiable yeah. craziness. It's that every game feels like a playoff. And, of course, there's the, there's the college football championship, and it's the final four teams. But in order to get into the college football championship, you basically have to win your conference. Yeah. Well, in order to get into the conference championship, you need to not lose to a small school. You have to beat, like if you're at Alabama, and it's, people fall asleep at the wheel on this one where they say, well, Alabama's just better than everybody. And the, it's the SEC, man. Like the SEC every single year, there's three or four teams that if Alabama falls asleep at the wheel for one second, yeah, they're not going to win the SEC. They're not going to the college football championship. And it's not, happened in the past before. It has. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But the, the idea here being when I watch Alabama play against Texas A&M, that game matters. Right. Like that game matters because even if they blow Texas A&M out, well, they still have to beat, I don't know, Florida State the next week. And if they don't beat them, then every single game matters and it holds stakes. So the idea of the CFL expanding the playoff makes so much sense. But having eight of your nine teams make the playoffs is amazing. It's a bad look. It's a bad look. (laughs) That is absolutely amazing. If that ends up happening, I'm not going to be complaining because I get to talk more playoff football. But yeah. The, the expanded here, and this is what I honestly think too, it's being talked about as kind of like this fix for the season being delayed if it starts after August 5th. I think on Monday, there's going to be a yes vote. I think we're going to go ahead on August 5th. I think we're still going to get the expanded playoff because what I've learned from all these other leagues, if the CFL is following suit on all these other leagues and the trends that they have shown with the ratings and the interest that I've talked about is that if you end up adding that extra playoff setup even if you have nine teams in your league it's good for you so even if they're starting on august 5th as soon as you start talking about expanding playoffs you're going to expand playoffs like this is this almost feels like the soft launch of the cfl saying yeah you know we're thinking about it might we might be a thing we'll see down the but here's the other funny thing is that i'm talking about you know the top eight teams and let's say it's uh, I don't know how they would shake this out, but like the top two seeds get a buy and then the bottom two uh, of, 
of each. <laughs> but I mean, like that, like this is the thing. Like, but, there's no way to actually you can't, like make this work. But you can't do it by division, of course, because then the East, every single team is going to make the playoffs no matter what. So you would have to go to an overall ranking of the of the seeds, right? Where it would be a one through eight tournament, and you would have the top four get the first weekend off. The bottom four would play against each other in in two separate games, and then you'd have to like reseed, and you'd have to play semifinals, <laughs> and then they would play it. So this is what I'm saying is. It gets pretty tricky, but can you imagine being the team that finishes ninth? Like the rest of the Canadian Football League is all still alive going into middle of November, late November, whenever the timing shakes out for the playoffs to actually start. And you're the only team because if, yeah. you, if you're the Toronto Blue Jays and you don't make the playoffs, that's fine. There's 15 to 20 other teams that also didn't make the playoffs. If you are the Toronto Argonauts and you don't make the playoffs, you're the only one. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm going to make an allegation. Lonely. Yeah. I'm going to make an allegation. And I think you it's want reckless. No, no, no. I don't need it because I think I'm okay. 100% right on oh, this. Oh, wow. I think this idea 100% came from a West division team because we hear it every single bleeping year from the West division fans. This is ridiculous. Our fourth place team is way better than any team you have in the East or our fifth place team is better than any team you have in the East. And you guys get all these playoff games and, you know, your third seed in the East is, you know, whatever record, right. Or second seed in the East is whatever record. It's like, Oh, they're seven and not, or, you know, seven and 11 and they're in the playoffs is ridiculous. Our West team has like three more wins than them. Sorry, it's just the way it works out. So this 100% came from the West because to your point about if they go to eight playoff teams, that ninth team in the CFL, the only team that's out, it looks really bad on them. But it kind of already looks bad. Like if you're in the bottom three of the league, and I know you can say, oh, it's the bottom third of the league. It's like, no, it's pretty bad. You're in the bottom third of the league. You should make the, uh, the playoffs, especially in the East Division, because we've seen a lot of East Division seasons where it's been bad. And the Hamilton Tiger Cats were not great and squeezed into the playoffs. Why? The East Division was bad. Yeah. Yeah. Montreal wasn't, I, I don't believe they were fantastic in 2019, but they hosted no? the East semifinal. Like the crossover yeah. was Edmonton who came in and Edmonton was clearly the better team on that day. They deserved to win even on the road. So yeah. To your point, I think that it had to have come from the West because what would be the advantage? You have to think about the, uh, it's like a CTV promotion for a new drama, motive. Uh, what would be the motive for the Hamilton Tiger Cats to want to have two more teams in the playoffs? They don't give a damn about the bottom of the league. They believe they're no. going to the, be at the top of the league. Toronto well, Steinauer has said numerous times before, they have one goal when they go into a season and it's win the Great Cup. But to do that, you have to win the East. Be the best yeah. team in your division and leave no doubt in 2019 the first year of Orlando Steinauer they did that they left no doubt the Hamilton Tiger Cats going into the playoffs were the best team in the East division and they left no doubt in the playoffs and went to the great cup performance in the great cup not fantastic but like that's what I'm getting at right it's like if you're the team in the East division you want to be number one you don't want to sneak in as a weak number two and face that crossover team and it's it seems that it's always like that but moving forward, who knows? Mm-hmm. The BC Lions might fall off. Mike Riley might say, you know, after this season, you know what? I'm done. I don't want to play in BC I anymore. I want to go be a firefighter. Yeah, and they have, uh, what's his name? Arnt as the, as the yeah. quarterback in they, BC. They got Arnt and Nathan Rourke there as well, the Canadians. So, uh, yeah, it's like, 
bad. I, I wonder the one team in the East that I could find some motive for them wanting to have an expanded playoff would be Ottawa because they expect to be near the bottom, I would think, this year. And for them to get to the playoffs, in quotation marks, would look a lot better than finishing in the bottom three once again. Uh, and yeah. if, they, if they end up getting to the playoffs, think about it as well. Paul Lapolis just took Zach Kalaros and a b- bunch of guys that were kind of thrown together late in the game in the season in 2019, took them to a great cup and they won the great cup. So for him to get thrown into the dance and get put in a one game winner take all situation, which is all the playoffs are, Lapolis might find some vo- value in yeah. that. So he's the, he's the one guy that I could say might, drive that conversation a little bit in the east but yeah i'm with you i think this comes from the west because they're saying let's get all of our teams in here and let us all fight for the great but again that opens up the possibility of what steve melton always talks to us about which is that you have to have east versus west in the canadian football league when it comes to the great cup championship you cannot have a west versus west i even sometimes watch an old great cups like 2001 where it's winnipeg against calgary i'm like i know they were in the east at that time because ottawa wasn't in but it still seems weird to have Winnipeg going up against Calgary West versus West. And the idea of the crossover team making their way through to having a battle of Alberta and the great cup, it's like, well, it's sexy, but half the country is going to get lobbed off and lose a lot of interest because they don't have anybody that they've seen play very often out here. Yeah. So let's draw up an 18 playoff scenario in the CFL. Like you said, how do you format it? All of a sudden that team that finishes first in each division, do they not get a buy? Are they th- asked to go I think you give the, the top, next week I think you give the top uh how do we do this I, so again <laughs> you're gonna add an extra week to the season are we gonna have the great cup full-time in December that's what I want to know well full-time in December until we they possibly bump the season up into the spring like that's again there's so much unprecedented fluctuation here potentially uh that i think it's it's all just one big juggling act at this point but regardless we hope that the vote gets approved it goes forward and uh that if somebody votes no they get shamed for it and uh <laughs> I, but i i love that the idea has been floated but there's no confirmation and it's the cfl is not hoping to have the season delayed so for them to put out that there's the potential in this cba amendment to add two teams why would they put that out if they weren't planning to do it at some point? Because they're hoping there's a yes vote. They're hoping the season gets started on August 5th. They're hoping training camps get kicked off in the first week of July and that they end up like (laughs) the other thing in this, just quickly, we talked about preseason last week, so we don't need to go long in this, but I just want to mention no preseason games is first of all, it's a no brainer. Second of all, first couple of weeks of football might not be great football. No, it's bad. <laughs> um, and it usually is a bit of a learning curve for guys to get back into football shape. And I think the best football of the season until the playoffs actually comes from weeks like two to six, because that's when everybody is right. And for the most part healthy and the weather's warm and guys can just get out there and play fast. Then you get worn down a little bit middle of the season. Then you fire it up for a couple of games around labor day. Then you settle in and figure out where you are for the playoff chase and, kind of gauge it from there until you hit the playoffs and then you go full bore. But yeah, the, that first couple of weeks without preseason games, there's only so much that you can do, especially in a 20, like managing the bodies in a 21 day training camp without a chance to play against somebody on the other team. You can't even go full contact. Yeah. I don't think because we've seen what's happened to CFL practices and training camp. It's limited shoulder pads, uh, limited days uh, being able to hit, limited sessions of this, like limited time on field, limited time in meetings. So 
yeah, you're going to have these long training camps, but what are you going to get done with them other than getting everybody slowly ramped up to speed? There's going to be days at camps across the country where I think guys are going to take the field in like shells and shorts and go through a walkthrough, do a little bit of seven on seven, catch some balls, uh, go through coverages, run a little bit, and then be done. There's going to be days because they're not yeah. just going to get out there and say, here, everybody go tear your groins and rip your hamstrings. They're going to slowly ramp this up, and it's going to be a slow ramp up for everybody involved. Yeah, when I heard that there was no preseason games, I was thinking to myself, you know, I don't know how this is going to work, and I wonder if teams would visit other teams' training camps, right? So the Argos come to Tim Hortons Field, and they have some sort of inter-squad game like you see in the NFL. But then I'm like, wait, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I don't think the CFL wants to, in their preseason, to bring two groups of 70 people together because obviously the possibility of, you know, uh, positive cases goes up. So it'll be interesting to see how they do it. I was just thinking they don't want fights. Like, I I don't think you want two years worth of bottled up professional football testosterone thrown together for the first time on a field with nobody but coaches. Like that's dangerous. Honestly, there's, there's a lot of dudes out there trying to prove themselves and make a team training camps, even in your own team breed fights, training camp against somebody that you don't even know and don't care about. There would be some nasty stuff that would happen in that setup. So I think for me, that's a player safety issue is not allowing those guys to go at each other in that setting. But again, I mean, I'm fine with it. They do it in the NFL and it works out, right? It's true, but they're not even allowed to hit their own teammates relatively cleanly in training camps because that's part of CBA negotiations of, hey, our guys don't want to be allowed to crush each other. That's part of the negotiations is protecting player safety during camps. I don't think they would open that up. It's an interesting idea for the future, maybe in small little pieces, but they play each other enough throughout the year. I think you just got to bite the bullet the first week or two and, and accept that they're going to be ramping up and it's not going to be the most crisp football played. But yeah. again, like Kyle, you remember that first drive against Saskatchewan in 2019 when the Ticats took three personal foul penalties. Yeah. Now imagine, <laughs> now imagine that happening. Okay. Now I want you to imagine that happening with Simone trying to blow Zach Alaros's head off and Delvin bro trying to murder William Powell out of bounds. Now imagine that happening with 70 dudes on the sideline, not beholden to CFL rules for in-game getting suspended, but instead just at a practice against each other. That's what I'm talking about. That's concerning. Yeah, it's up to the players to, you know, maintain uh, professionalism in some sort of way. But, you know, sometimes uh, emotions happen. And when you haven't hit somebody in as long as CFL players have hit each other, to yep. your point, um, quick trigger tempers might, uh, might erupt, uh, no doubt. Yes, I'm with you. Mellow wins the debate. Whoa. Time to take a break. All right. Congratulations. It's there a was win. a debate? <laughs> yeah, I think you uh, you put out an outlandish comment there. You said that uh, you've never said it before, and apparently that, that got you the win. So congrats, <laughs> that's, that's a big one for you. When we come back, uh, play some of our favorite sound of the week for you here. Bounce through it on our way out the door on a Friday. Happy Sada City Friday, everybody. Use our promo code, CFL. Need help with your golf game? Having issues getting off the tee, slicing the ball to the left? or the right, or both, like myself, Marshall Ferguson here for offthetee.ca. Listen, the summer and the warm weather is coming, and in between all those great CFL games that we're hopefully going to watch, you're going to go out and have some fun on the golf course. Why not up your game with offthetee.ca? 
helping you with your swing while understanding the joys of golf. To get started, contact Carlo Macaluso at 905-807-4363 and he'll help you with your game today so you can impress your buddies tomorrow. What a shot! Welcome to the party. Let's get weird. Let's. Hey, are, are people allowed to have house parties again? Because stage one reopening in Ontario. I know patios Outdoors. Are is that what it is? Yeah, people are going yeah. go to go to parks and be in social gatherings and stuff. I hope that goes well. Hopefully that doesn't turn out like a bad training camp crossover practice where people are getting in fights unnecessarily. But anyways, uh, <laughs> all, all right, let's get into uh, some of the best sound clips of the week for you here. I want to begin with the one that made me the happiest because I love a good cheesy advertisement. I really do. I love when I watch American television sometimes and I can't believe what's real. By the way, Fox weekend programming surrounding the sports that they have sometimes is just infomercials. Sometimes I watch them because they're so entertaining. You're, just, you're, just like, <laughs> you're like, okay, I don't really understand. But uh, there is a NASCAR driver here uh, who is Brandon Brandon Brown, I believe, and he's driving, or Brandon Built. I'm not sure. It's Brandon Brown driving for BrandonBuilt.com. Uh, and he put out an advertisement this week where he's really, really crushed that he's going to have to race without any sponsors on his car. And his car was going to be naked. It was going to have no advertising at all on it. And he decided, you know what? If nobody's going to sponsor me, I'm going to put for sale ads all over my car so I can let people know that they can actually sponsor me. Here's the ad. <laughs> race fans, this is incredibly tough to talk about, but I do know that there are going to be races that I'm going out uh, unsponsored, nobody in the car, car is going to be blank. And uh, I'm bringing the deal to you here at Vanderbilt Motorsports. You can come on down to the number 68 where we're first sale. You can see your company right here on this 68 Chevy Camaro hot rod. Are you tired of spending your company's hard-earned dollar on some of these garbage advertisements? Pow! Come on down where the 68 works for you. We got quarter panels. We got deck lids. We got C posts. You can sponsor my rear end. So come on down to Brandonville Motorsports where we have the fire deal and we'll take care of you. Uh, the top of his hood is just a huge for sale sign. That That's what he decided to put on the top of the hood. I was like, man, that is such a great idea to be able to put an advertisement like that in there. So congratulations. Uh, to <laughs> I've always... <laughs> I've always wondered uh, those uh, like lesser racing leagues. They gotta get hit hard by the virus, right? Because oh, you're yeah. like you're not on TV. You can't really have spectators, or in some places, especially down south, you can have spectators. Um, but it, they have, must have been killed by you know the the you know the economic uh, effect that the coronavirus brought with it. Yeah, it's so true. Uh, the other clip I wanted to play from the racing world here, Kyle, is Mark Webber. Uh, former Formula One driver at Aussie <laughs> Grit. He was on the call on Channel 4 uh, with Alex Jakes. They do a great job on Channel 4 over there in the UK. And they were calling the race when they had the red flag and then the restart in the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Uh, it was incredible. Lewis Hamilton, his championship rival, Max Verstappen, uh, had already crashed out because Pirelli doesn't know how to build tires that don't explode randomly in the <laughs> place. And so... They end up having the restart, and Lewis takes the lead off the restart. 
and he's diving towards turn one and he has the inside of the corner and all of a sudden he locks up and he sails into the abyss. He just disappears from the camera shot. And I want you to listen for the squawk of one Mark Webber, his sheer terror at what he was watching when all he was focused on was Lewis Hamilton getting through turn one clean, and then he doesn't. Lewis Hamilton takes it away, but he locks up, and he's lost it! <laughs> uh, did you hear the noise there? It's Alex I James did. calling it and saying, it's Lewis Hamilton, he takes lead, and he locks up! And in the background, just listen to the squawk of Mark Webber. Lewis Hamilton takes it away, but he locks up, and he's lost it! <laughs> uh, that is high-quality commentary right there. He has paid a lot of money now to be a commentator, and that's the perfect answer for what that moment was because I did the exact same thing at my television, screaming at it. Just unbelievable at what had happened. Man, Mark Weber sounded like a peacock uh, for a second there. <laughs> Just freaking out because uh, Lewis Hamilton uh, went off the road. Um, that race was as crazy of a race as I've seen in probably a couple of years. Um, just, you know, the guys at the top, to not get any points hilarious to me like verstappen no points bottas no points hamilton no points yeah it, and it's it, like there comes chico and he wins the race it uh, reminded me a lot of monza in 2020 where i believe the podium was uh the winner was gasly, was gasly right and yeah then second was carlos Sainz for mclaren at the time he's now with of course ferrari and third was Lance Stroll. And uh, it's just, it's fun sometimes when you see just like a fresh, young, different podium. Yeah. And that's what we got in this race. What the hell was Aston Martin Racing doing though with uh, with with Stroll? They left him out there forever. And I'm like, yeah. are they going to bring him in? Can bring him in? And then his tire goes out. Well, to use a, uh, a soccer term, he was a bit on the back foot after what had happened to him after qualifying. Where No, I know, but he was running in the top 10 when he, yeah. went, when he crashed. They were trying to extend him so long that by the end of the race, he'd be able to put soft tires on and go to the end with fewer laps on his softs than anybody else. So he'd be going quicker and in, in the right temperature window. And they gambled and gambled and gambled and gambled and the tires just popped. So, but when you look at like the, 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 the rest of the grid and how the race developed, yeah. they made a massive mistake because he would have 100% been in the top 10 of got points and maybe even in the top five, because obviously Verstappen went out, Hamilton <laughs> kind of went out there. Um, so yeah, it was just remarkable to see, but I think it was a huge mistake. And then Sebastian Vettel gets second and I'm like, because I put out on Twitter, I say, can Aston Martin do anything right? And then some idiot pulls up the tweet after the race. What do you have to say <laughs> now about Vettel? Like, yeah, it was, it was nice to see him up. It's fun when Sebastian Vettel is happy. It is. It's good for the sport once in a while just to make Seb happy. But uh, we mentioned the, <laughs> uh, the dip and dots story earlier on in this uh, edition of Marshmallow. Uh, how about this great story from the University of Virginia men's baseball team in a post-game interview? Let's go back to that last inning, ninth inning. What are the emotions like entering that inning? Well, emotions are go in, win. I heard a fan offer free dipping Dots if I blew it, which the price of dipping Dots with inflation is just unreal. So for a brief moment, I was like, damn, dipping Dots sound good. But also I thought in the back of my head, we win today, we win tomorrow or tonight. We're going to be here another day. That's more per diem. So that means I can buy my own dipping Dots and be a winner. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to attack. I think three words every time I'm out there. The first one's a swear word. Starts with F. Um, second word's attack. Third one's win. And I just repeat that to myself. Unless, you know, there's a breach in the system and I walk a guy and I got to tell myself I'm a few different things that isn't a winner. 
Um, I might break that, but then I get right back on it. Just this attack win, you know. Uh, that is Kenny Powers in the flesh for you right there. That is uh, a University of Virginia men's baseball player who shall remain nameless, who the video is even more intriguing because to go with all of that, he plays for Virginia and he has a mullet. You ever see somebody and you just feel like you know how they voted just by looking at them? Yeah, but let's not do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here is Garrett Cole speaking of baseball people trying to answer questions they have no answer Man. to. Man, have you ever used spider attack while pitching? Um, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if, uh, <laughs> I don't know quite, I don't quite know how to answer that, to be honest. Um, I mean, there are customs and practices that have been passed down from older players to younger players from the last generation of players to this generation of players. And, um, you know, I, I think, uh, I think there are some things that are certainly out of bounds in that regard. And, and, uh, I've stood pretty, stood pretty firm in, in terms of that, uh, in terms of the communication between our peers and whatnot. Um, you know, and, and I, again, like I mentioned earlier, there's, you know, this is important to a lot of people that love the game. And this is including, including the players in this room, including fans, including, you know, teams. And so if MLB wants to, you know, legislate some more stuff, that's a conversation that we can have um, because ultimately we should all be pulling in the same direction on this. All I heard through that whole answer, Kyle, was Maradona when he didn't have any answer to the question he was given. <laughs> También más el fútbol de la Liga MX de Primera División. Lo has observado más de cerca, me imagino, aunque ya algo lo conocías. ¿Qué piensas de la Liga MX, de su nivel? No, eh, la, 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 eh. yeah, Maradona was not well at the back end of his life. Uh, thankfully, Garrett Cole no. is young, younger, healthier, and better off. But, uh, yeah, similar answers there, right? Uh, I have never heard that bad of an answer to a question that really tested you. Like he could have just said, no, um, next question. Like that's all he needed to say. Right. Maybe people would, you know, come out and just assume that he would be guilty, but don't do that. Like that is worse than like little Timmy that's seven years old, stealing a cookie out of the cookie jar. And then his mom asked him about it. Timmy, did you take the cookie? No, I, I didn't take it. And then he just like gets like flustered and then well, just you goes, see, mom, okay, I did. I took it. I took the cookie. Well, you see, mom, there's certain practices that have been handed down from my peers through the generations. <laughs> yeah. And Johnny you know, did it. <laughs> you know, we all, we all care about the integrity of dinner. We do. Um, <laughs> you know, and there's certain things that you just, you, you can't do uh, before dinner. And I think we all respect that, but you know, I think when it comes to, uh, you know, the taking of the cookie, you know, there's there's a lot of history there where it's it's been kind of an unspoken truth, you know, and, and having the cookie in my hand at the moment that you came around the corner, it's it's not really an indictment on me. I think it speaks more to the overall system that we have in place here. <laughs> that's that's basically it's so where, bad that's basically where he went <laughs> yeah garrett cole just talking and i can only assume the pr person that was on the same call is just saying to himself shut up shut up how did they just not kill move the call? on move on 
like I, well, but then, Zoom, but then it looks it kind of looks worse right <laughs> there's a mute button like there's a mute if they would have said to him like Garrett, you don't have to answer that he it would have looked bad but not that bad <laughs> not that it's bad. tough to make those calls <laughs> in the moment but if that's a press conference in person this is intriguing because of the age we live in right now with player interviews and Naomi Osaka saying she doesn't want to talk to anybody because oh, yeah. she doesn't enjoy the way she's being attacked is that which I totally respect all of that but the idea that we're on Zoom if that's asked in person there's a good chance that somebody from the Yankees is either stepping in or significantly closer to it and giving him advice where it's listen hey you don't have to answer that and you go hey John you know what that's an unfair question okay and then the journalist pushes back and that's the natural tension between PR yeah. and media but it would have been a different interaction than just leaving him on an island to himself for 20 seconds of umming and eyeing. Actually, you know what uh, I'm thinking now? It kind of makes it worse, right? Because for the PR person, the rest of the media, they can't see you, yeah. right? How are you not standing in front of Garrett Cole behind the camera and just like doing the throat thing where it's just like, <laughs> cut it. Don't answer this. Just say, move on. Next question. And he just sat there, and no doubt somebody from the Yankees is standing right next to him. Like, tell him to shut up and move on, and nobody will know. Like, they're doing that in a closet at Yankee Stadium, and nobody stood up to say anything? That's ridiculous. Yeah, that's. it seems unfair to Garrett Cole to leave him on that island, but maybe he's been unfair to everybody he's been pitching against for a long time. So, eh, I'm not yeah. sure. <laughs> uh, all right, what do I got for you here? All right, that is the uh, the end of the uh, house parade. Did you know, Kyle, right now that the United States women's national soccer team is playing against Portugal in a friendly, and the U.S. is only up 1-0? They scored in the 84th minute? The women's team for Portugal, they've gotten a lot better over the last, like, five years, but they were they were bad at one point. I just – I'm looking at the live stats right now uh, as they're still in action. Actually, it was the 76th minute that uh, the United States scored their goal, but in the 84th minute uh, is where they're at right now. So Portugal's got about five minutes to try and get themselves on the score sheet here, but they have four shots on net. The United States has 24. Uh, Whoa. Shots on (laughs) – shots on target. U.S. has nine. Portugal has one. Possession, 66% United States. U.S., 422 passes to 238 from Portugal. 83% pass accuracy. 11 fouls by Portugal. Only five by the United States. Uh, Portugal has a yellow card and three offsides. And the number of corners, Portugal one, United States 14. Uh, wow, that's a lot. They've taken 14 corners <laughs> in this match. But uh, the Portuguese women's soccer program is ranked uh, 25th in the world or 29th in the world right now. Yeah, um, it's a lot better than where they were. Um, so, again, just so everybody knows, we're recording this Thursday night. Obviously, it comes out Friday. My girlfriend was in the kitchen, and it's super quiet in our neighborhood. And these guys drove down the street just screaming. And I'm like, what the hell? And my girlfriend turns to me and she goes is italy playing did italy win these guys have a huge italian flag out the window and i'm like no they play tomorrow i'm like oh you know what happened these idiots just went to get their flags and they're doing like a pre-cheer for they're doing like a pep rally for the italian national team and i'm like don't worry tomorrow they'll come back if they win if italy wins if italy loses you will not hear from them Uh, dude you know when i knew that euro was officially on i i got the euro spirit Uh, when car flags return, but also there's a guy in Hamilton at the corner of Trinity Church and Rymel who has set up the flag shop. And what I mean by the flag oh, shop yeah. is guy who decides to just own an entire corner of the block by planting flags in the ground. And 
I was in a neighborhood in Stony Creek the other day, and there was a massive Italian flag and a massive Portuguese flag. Somebody had just driven them straight into their grass, like straight into the <laughs> earth. They just planted them, and they're like, these are going to be here for the next month. Don't talk to me. I'll see you when the tournament's over kind of thing. And driving through some of these Stony Creek neighborhoods right now, you see so much of that stuff, and you're like, yep. It's real. It's back. I actually, I, uh, <laughs> so this is you kinda... get a Scotland flag. They're in it now. I know. I can't wait. I'm going to drink so much McClay's. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> uh, sorry, Soda City, but I had to on that one. <laughs> uh, but I, I did something kind of nerdy this past week. So I have, um, this like wood block that I built a pull-up setup into when we all went into building home gyms for ourselves, very makeshift. And I got, I have actually have like a checkered flag, like a racing checkered flag. And I have a Canadian flag. And so I drilled three holes into the top of this wood block in my backyard because I typically watch the races outside on the back deck early in the morning in the warm weather months. It's very nice. Uh, and so I put three holes in it and I planted on, on race day. It's the only day the flags fly. In the middle goes the checkered flag. The furthest away from where the deck is goes the Canadian flag. And I saw this flag guy pop up. I'm like, yo, I need to buy one of every flag for where f1 goes racing and on race day wherever they're racing i need to put the i need to put the flag in so that it's canadian flag checkered flag and then like the turkish flag or wherever the hell people in my neighborhood are going to be so confused every sunday morning when they open their curtains at 7 a.m and they see me standing on the back deck eating my breakfast feverishly as i watch them get to the grid and there's the flag of Azerbaijan flying in the backyard for no reason. What flag is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's going to be something to be pretty easy to tell, but there's going to be a lot where they're going to be like, what the? Like, I'm going to be yeah. flying the Saudi Arabian flag this year in my backyard. People are going to be like, what? Where? How did I, you find that? Uh, <laughs> I love it. And respect to the people that do it, that every time the World Cup rolls around and you see all the flags on everybody's car, there's that one guy that's like from a country that's not in the World Cup and he just rocks in. I love it. It's yeah. like, a Tahiti flag, and it's yeah, like Tahiti's yeah. not in the. What, what flag <laughs> is that? And it just has people's heads spinning because they're trying to figure out what flag is that, and are they in the World Cup? <laughs> My favorite annual tradition is the Leafs car flags rapidly oh, yeah. disappearing, like rapidly. Very every time that they lose in the playoffs, there is a quantum shift in the twelve hours between the drive home from work the night that they're playing when they get eliminated to the next morning when people are driving to work and the Leafs are no longer in the playoffs. The number of times in my life that I have very clearly observed, hey, where'd all those blue Leafs flags go in people's cars? <laughs> they disappear overnight. Like it should, there should, I, there has to be people out there that do a ceremony when they have to retire their car flag for the year yet again, yeah. put it back in the trunk, fold it up very neatly, close it, lock it, throw away the key. This is the uh, first tournament that's taken place where I'm not living at home and I have my own place now. And I did not bring the Portugal flags with me. So I actually don't have a flag for my car. Oh, I don't wow. have a flag in the house. Uh, tomorrow, I got to go out before the Italy game starts. Um, I'm hoping to find one of those flag guys on the side of the road. Man, I'm <laughs> telling you, Trinity Church and Rymel. Okay, ah, that's too far for me. No, have an old day trip. What else do you got to do? Come on, uh, <laughs> little, little little trip. Just hop on the old link there and get off at, get off at the corner of the Red Hill and the link. Go down. Uh, yeah, it's 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 very worth it to go and check that out. I got to go there and buy all the flags for Formula One. Now that's the show for us. 
Thank you for listening. Thanks for hanging out with us as always. And thank you to Fox 40 and Sawdust City for supporting us. Don't forget those promo codes to use them. Fox40shop.com and enter the promo code CFP15 for all of your return to play whistle needs. Again, all you coaches out there getting set to go back, even if you're just a high school coach, a high school teacher, and you want to be able to uh, support the podcast, use that promo code, let them know that you care that they're supporting us, which we really do appreciate. And of course, Sawdust City Beer. Uh, I am looking forward to breaking down the passion fruit guava kettle sour this week. Head over to our YouTube page to get all the reviews of all the beers that they have on tap. And don't forget the promo code CFL as we get set for kickoff, hopefully here coming up. When we talk next, Kyle, we should have a CFL schedule to discuss. Fingers crossed that we get that coming up. Let's break down week 13 in the CFL. Let's do it, baby. That's what we (laughs) count on week 13 schedule talk next week right here on Marshmallow. We'll talk to you next week here on Canadian Football Perspective. Let's take care of ourselves and each other. Uh, Let's not go to the lowest common denominator and get paranoid. Let's do our due diligence, take the precautions we need to to take care of ourselves and those of us around us. Right now, more than ever before, we're all more dependent on each other. Let's see if we can make some lemonade out of this lemon that we're in the middle of. Turn a red light into a green light. Just keep living.